and welcome to the all new, all different number one comics podcast. We are a weekly comic book podcast where each and every single week, my co-host Bob and I say hello, Bob. Hello, Bob. We tear apart a brand new first issue comic book that's dropped in local comic book shops that week, break down the story beats as well as the art, give it somewhat of a review, and let you guys know if we think that you should move on to issue number two or not. We also talk a little bit of comic book news whenever that exists, and we talk about what's new in comic book shops this and next week. And this week we'll be taking a deep dive into the all-new number one... From Marvel Comics, Miss Marvel the New Mutant. Yes, you heard right. Miss Marvel is a mutant. <laughs> She's a mutant. She's a new mutant. Not those new mutants, but somebody's new mutant. I'm sure she'll interact with Deadpool one of these days. Uh, I just hope that I get like a epic uh, magic and Miss Marvel crossover. I think that that would be like really <laughs> cool. Maybe get some Wolfsbane in there. I don't, there's lots of things that I want to see with the new mutants. Uh, I, I think that that could be really cool. Actually, I take it all back. You know what? I don't want her on the X-Men team anymore. Let's put her on the New Mutants. Put her on the uh, <laughs> the old uh, Bob McClode run. Oh, <laughs> come on. With uh, Thunderbird. Hell and... yeah. <laughs> boom, boom, and all of those. <laughs> Man, I'd love to see that. I, I think Marvel team up 65. Miss <laughs> Marvel and Boom Boom. Yes. Oh, man, please give it to me. Come on. Somebody, <laughs> somebody at Marvel, make this happen. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. And we are back with the all-new, all-different number one comics podcast. Bob, I don't know if I said it right up top. I don't think I did now that I'm thinking about it, but this is episode number 34. If I if I failed to mention that, uh, episode number 34. Um, well, you mentioned it now. Yeah, so, so, so you know, for all the, the people wondering out there, this is episode number 34. Don't worry, you didn't miss one. Uh, this is 34. There were some bonuses in there, you know, there... There's plenty of back catalog to choose from. Yes. Uh, pick your favorite book and, and, and go listen. But either way, today we are here and we are talking about, I don't know, uh, you and I talked about this earlier. There's no news whatsoever. No, there's none. There's honestly nothing. Um, there, I, I, there's speculation, but nothing Yeah, concrete. a little tiny bit. Um, I, I do like the fact that, I don't know if you've been reading out there about the Deadpool 3 rumors, there's lots of them, but... I have. The uh, the Dazzler one, the Taylor Swift Dazzler one, I don't know if, if, if that's been in your news feed. A lot of those Dazzler books are jumping up. Of course, the Uncanny X-Men, you know, her first appearance and, and all of that. And then, you know, just anything with her on the cover is pretty hot right now because you got to think, if Taylor Swift does happen to play Dazzler, which... Please, for the love of God, that would be perfect. But yeah, that that's some, that'd be some great casting yeah, right there. Very, very good casting. Very good win for Marvel and for Taylor Swift. But yeah, if that if that happens to be a thing, uh, look out, dude, because any book you have with Dazzler on the cover is is gone. Like, <laughs> there's some really really good Dazzler covers because Bill St. Cabbage did a bunch, uh, and then you know just that that first appearance in Uncanny X Men. It's a weird cover, but it's a cool cover. Yeah. Uh, and I know there are people out there with multiple copies of Dazzler number one. Oh, yeah. I, dude, I have a million. So <laughs> I, I have a short box. I think of yeah, that's, ones, that's yeah. like the first Omega Red. Everybody's got 
multiple copies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, you have to think. Think about Taylor Swift's fan base who doesn't read comic books. Why would they not want that? You know, exactly. Her on the cover, and then and then they can take it. You know, on the off chance that they can get Taylor Swift to sign something or whatever, get a Taylor Swift signature on there. Hell yeah! Uh, why would you not? Uh, I, I'd be all about it too. So. Well, and I also read earlier. There's also speculation of Kidpool <laughs> debuting in Deadpool three. Oh, okay. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I don't. I, I, that seems very realistic to happen. I mean, <laughs> you can see that happening. A very very young version of Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, exactly. It seems like something that Ryan Reynolds would would do or want done or <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I mean, you can basically shake a stick. There's lots of Deadpool three rumors out there, and and I think that that's the way they want it because we already know, we already know some things, you know, for for certain. So, you know, Ryan Reynolds, um, of course, Marvel, you know, whoever whoever's behind it and everything, it's it's a Deadpool movie. They want surprises in there. They want people to be shocked by some yeah. of it and all of that. So. So yeah, they're gonna have to pull some punches, I think, to to make that happen. So and even even starting with the Deadpool one, we've gotten obscure characters. I mean, Ajax, yeah. anyone? Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who really? Knew, I mean, raise your hands. Who really knew about Ajax? Yeah, n- not me. Not me. <laughs> yeah, and and I read comics, so yeah, uh, yeah, really, really fun stuff out there with all of that. And then I mean, think back to Deadpool two. I'm I'm trying to think of the character's name now. It was a character that was created for uh, X Force and the X team and all that that Peter Milligan and Mike Allred did. Uh, the guy that was in the helicopter and died. Um, I can't think of the character's name now. I don't know. It, it'll come to me. But um, yeah, just some some wacky off the wall characters there. Really really cool stuff. Bob uh, again in the absence of news. You know we just kind of got to go off the dome here, which is scary because We're I don't have much involved. But yeah. Uh, we did watch a movie this past week, uh, separately, but you know, pretty much at the same time. Well, I finished it in one <laughs> viewing, <laughs> so surprise everybody! I I actually finished a movie in, in one shot. Uh, mm-hmm. Bob did not, but um, yeah, we're talking DC's The Flash movie dropped on HBO Max or Max or whatever it's called now, uh, streaming and and yeah, the second that I saw it on there, I was like, well, I you know I want to see it. <laughs> I said the same thing, yeah, yes. I'm, I'm interested. I wasn't interested in going to a theater. I definitely no. wasn't interested in helping to inflate the box office for it any, which, you know, good thing we didn't, but but still. I, w- I was going to say, are you proud of your decision for not spending money on it? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I get what everybody says, and I get a lot of people were involved who aren't shitty people and all that. Yes, you are 110% correct, and those people deserve credit, and they deserve money and all of that, but... Ezra Miller does not, so <laughs> that's just my opinion, but I'm sticking to it, so I'm, I'm happy that I did not give Ezra Miller any of my money. Mm-hmm. I'm already subscribed to Max, so, you know, whatever I watch on it, I don't think they really do residuals like that anymore. So no, I don't Royalties so. or anything, so. I don't think so. Yeah, uh, but but Bob, we watched the Flash movie. Um, is there, we did. We is did. there anything you want to say about the Flash? I I would like to. Besides the fact that the CGI is <laughs> god awful, horrible. Yeah, I 
I want to do like a little throwback. You know, on the podcast, we always do the synopsis of the book we're covering and all that. Mm. So before we talk about this movie, I want to I want to <laughs> do the 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 synopsis of the movie. Not my written synopsis, but this one's on Rotten Tomatoes, just so we can we can contrast our our opinions uh, against this. Um, Worlds collide in the Flash when Barry uses his superpowers to travel back in time in order to change the events of the past. But when his attempts to save his family inadvertently alters the future, Barry becomes trapped in a reality in which General Zod has returned, threatening annihilation. And there is no, sorry, and there are no superheroes to turn to. That is, unless Barry can coax a very different Batman out of retirement and rescue an imprisoned Kryptonian. Albeit not the one he's looking for. Ultimately, to save the world that he is in and return to the future that he knows, Barry's only hope is to race for his life. But will making the ultimate sacrifice be enough to reset the universe? Question mark. So that makes it sound like it's a coherent movie that goes from point A to point B and ends at some point. Yeah. Um, it is not that. <laughs> no. No. To, to me. It's like the Whedon cut of Justice League. Just a bunch of random scenes thrown together. I'm rubbing my forehead now just thinking about it, just thinking about what I sat through because, yeah, it's. it seems like there's some kind of plot buried underneath something. <laughs> I mean, I get that there's some kind of plot to this movie. There is some kind of plot. Um, I, not, I, I think that a lot of the Barry's motivation and stuff gets lost for me. I... I I tend to, you know, I'm sitting there watching it and I'm, I'm forgetting why the things that are happening are happening. So I don't think it's straightforward enough. It's definitely very insanely convoluted. Like, <laughs> I mean, and if, if you thought one Ezra Miller was bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Two Ezra Millers is like, oh, my God, somebody shoot me now. And none of them have any redeeming qualities whatsoever. Yeah, not at all. Uh, and that's kind of one of the things I want to talk about with this movie. What about the redeeming qualities? Because we brought Michael Keaton back as Batman. Mm -hmm. I'm 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 with the general population. I'd love to see you know Michael Keaton again as Batman. That's cool. Uh, of course, you know we all grew up on Michael Keaton Batman. It's awesome. It's fun. Whatever. Was there other other than just fan service? Did you see any need for Michael Keaton to be Batman in this movie? Uh, besides the shoehorn another Batman in. Yeah, I I didn't understand what the purpose was. I'll have to cut that. <laughs> it was it was very fan servicey though, and it was very. I, I don't know. Like what what was the, what was the purpose? Like what did it do to the plot of the movie? What was his character arc? Like there really wasn't one. I I get I guess you could say he was supposed to be Thomas Wayne. Yeah. If you were to compare it, because it was I mean it was. Being that it was based on the Flashpoint Paradox, to me, it was loosely based on that. Uh, very loosely. I mean, we got we got the we we had the core ideas and the core building blocks, mm -hmm. but I mean, there was you know no Wonder Woman versus Arthur Curry, yeah. which was a a very big thing in the Flashpoint. <laughs> very big, yeah. I mean, there was no, you know, Lois Lane being, you know, part of the resistance. There mm -hmm. was no reverse Flash. Well, I, I mean, I guess you could say that was, you know, Barry finding out that he was ultimately, you know, the villain. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
which I guess you could say he was the third version of Ezra Miller, which, I mean, that... I mean, two was bad. Three was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that third one was... Uh, th- that was a whole other thing. Uh, I... I was somewhere, I think I was Target, yeah, I was in Target the other day, and there was a, a clearance version of, of that, <laughs> of, of that uh, Flash or, or whatever. I, I don't know what you call that character. It had it had some kind of name, but um, yeah, there was a little action figure of it, and it was like on clearance for like $3 and something <laughs> at, at the Target, and I was like, man, that looks rough. I, I, I just can't imagine having that in your collection and wanting to see it. It's so like depressing and <laughs> just sad. Uh, but yeah, what what about the cast? Like, so so definitely, you know, Ezra Miller, or or, or sorry, let's, let's separate the art from the artist, I guess. But like, you know, just just Barry Allen, the Flash here, uh, not not super likable in the movie at all, in my opinion. Any any of the more annoying than anything. Yeah, didn't really like him. Uh, no. Michael Keaton at Bruce Wayne. I don't know. Like, it just didn't it didn't do much for me. Especially when he comes out and he's goofy on the jumping on the kitchen counter and, and with the long hair and everything. Like I just mm-hmm. I wasn't very impressed with him. It didn't I mean I again, don't get me wrong, I love Michael Keaton. Um I, I like Michael Keaton a lot and I like Michael Keaton Batman a lot, but this obviously was not, you know, to showcase him or anything. It was like fan service. Uh, what about uh, Kara, uh, Supergirl there? Like what did did you have any thoughts on that? I, I, while you collect your thoughts, I'm gonna just straight up say I really didn't like her at all. I, I didn't like the character. I didn't like her. Like, I didn't like the way that she was in this movie. Like, I just didn't like it. Yeah, to me, she uh, to me she was just the actress was just a little too stiff in the role. Like, really stiff though. Yeah, and didn't give me that whole you know. I mean, I know she was supposed to be a separate character from Superman, yeah. but I mean, she didn't, she didn't really give any of those vibes whatsoever. Superman vibes, like the whole, yeah. you know, optimistic, I'm going to do good. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, yeah. Apparently, I mean, apparently, I mean, she really didn't have any qualms about killing. No, not at all. And, and what, what I think is like, I don't know. It, it's 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 hard, but I hate to say this. You know, I'm sure she's a talented actor. Um, I, it's it's not the. It, I don't know if it's her performance. I don't know if it's the way the character's written. So like, I, I can't I can't tell. You know, I, I don't I don't right. have that information. But it seemed like if that was like a Supergirl from like CW, then it would be, you know, like it seemed like it came from that kind of universe. It seemed like a right. TV universe character being put into like a, a major motion picture like mm-hmm. it just didn't fit with everybody else and and it seemed weird i mean look you have like you have ben affleck and michael keaton in here to to act against and and i'm not saying she really shared scenes with them but i it just it seemed like an odd fit there uh what about michael shannon general zod like what about that general zod in this movie see i i like michael shannon I do too. especially when he plays a villain mm-hmm. i like him too I, not definitely not my favorite uh, villain. Not even my favorite uh, depiction of a DC villain on screen. I didn't think it was that definitely good. not my favorite. General Zod. Yeah, not at all. Um, yeah, and then I mean we we don't have to go down the whole list or anything, but uh, but yeah, just some I don't know, just some weak character development for me at least. Uh, some pretty weak performances, if I'm being honest with myself. I, I'm I'm not gonna disagree with you on that, 
And like, who wrote this script and edited this thing? You know, it it was so long for no reason whatsoever. The way it was edited kind of seemed like the way the original the the first what what was it was it just Suicide Squad? Yeah, that was the first one. Yeah, yeah. It was Not kinda, the, It was kind of edited like that, mm -hmm. you know, just where this, just where you know stuff. Just like all of a sudden Captain Boomerang comes back to the team. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just so overblown and so saturated and whatever. I, I'll, I'll, I'll even go out on a limb here and say, I had a more enjoy enjoyable experience watching that Suicide Squad movie than this. <laughs> like in all honesty, um, it was a little bit, you know, shorter and more straight to the point. Yeah, this this was a long movie. This movie was way too long. Like. Why wasn't it an hour 40? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out on a big limb here. I'm going to one-up you as mm -hmm. far as enjoyable movies. Yep. I enjoyed watching Green Lantern. <laughs> Green Lantern is a lot more fun than the Flash movie. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's got a much lower Rotten Tomatoes score, I think. So that's... You know, and the, the, thing that, the thing that I could not wrap my head around, and I said this early on, that the CGI was god awful mm, oh oh yeah the fact that we found out that the budget was ballooned as high as mm -hmm. it was yeah that, that 300 and the cgi was still that bad and and what makes me upset about this and we've talked about this before in our news section and, and all of that and we've talked about this amongst ourselves and everything as well but for for andy machete to, to come out and say that that was a stylistic choice mm. Dude, you, some, at a certain point, you just got to own up to it and say yeah. you made a, a, a bad movie, like yeah. or at least a bad-looking movie or whatever. You know, just, uh, just say, yeah, the CGI was bad. Yeah, it wasn't good. Sure, uh, it, it wasn't. How, how can you justify that as a stylistic choice uh, for what purpose? Now, I don't know if there's anything you can really pull out that you enjoyed in the movie. I don't know if there's any good to it, like anything that redeemed it for you, but I know... I'm going to let you say it first because I, I it might be on the tip of your tongue, and if not, then I'll, I'll interject. But to, to me, and I, I even I even said this, Michael Keaton is my favorite part of mm -hmm. the movie. Okay. I mean, Batman is the best <laughs> part of a Flash movie. No, I, I agree with you, but I'm going to go the other way and say Ben Affleck because I really like Ben Affleck as Batman a lot. I'm, I'm really, really I, a big fan yeah, of Yeah, I am kind of, you know, I'm not going to disagree with you on that. I, I am kind of disappointed he won't be Batman going forward. Yeah, Because I would have liked to see more of him. Yeah, he's a good Batman. And, and I get that he's, you know, aged out the part, sure. But... You know, we're we're doing uh, Robert Pattinson, and we're which obviously... Which isn't going to count. That's an else world. Yeah, we're obviously getting a second one of that. So we've got a younger Batman. Why not have that old, grizzled, you know, kind of... Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know, what, what Ben Affleck is probably, I, I don't know, in his late 40s, early 50s, or something like that. I mean, he could still play Batman. Like, <laughs> maybe, maybe if you do a Batman Beyond movie, get, yeah, exactly. get Ben Affleck. Yeah, uh, Ben Affleck is a very, very good Batman. He, he, he's he really very is. believable as Batman, and I really like him. Um, but no, the one thing that I was th that I wanted to talk about was that uh, that little alternate universe point where we see, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know where I'm going now, where where we get, you know, and, and it's weird because I know what you're going to talk about, yeah. and, that, and originally that scene was supposed to play out a little bit differently than how it played out. Okay, which 
The whole scene or the or the Nick Cage part of it? The um Well no, okay. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of a different scene. Oh you're somewhere else. Yeah, well I'm well Bob, else. Bob, we're gonna get to that. Okay. But look, we've gotta talk for a second about the unrealized, un unfilmed uh look, here's here's a rabbit hole for you, if if ever there was a rabbit hole. The Kevin Smith written, Tim Burton directed, starring Nicolas Cage Superman movie because we got a little glimpse of that and we got the giant spider and you know and I and I did find out I um I was texting him with a uh, friend of mine mm -hmm. about um the whole Nicolas Cage thing because there is there is talk about Nicolas Cage coming back as Johnny Blaze for an MCU project <laughs> okay but I did find out that he. Does he did have an uncredited cameo? Okay. In this, so that is Nicolas Cage, everybody. Dude, that CG on top of it though is just horrendous. Um, I mean, they took Nicolas Cage and tried to take him back uh, what thirty years or whatever, um, and and really layered the CG. Well, on top yeah, of him, I but. mean, it's it's kind of like the whole um, the whole Christopher Reeve. Yes. Oh um, God. You know, Superman, which. I mean, it it was a it was a nice little nod, but it just looked like Princess Leia from Rogue One. Yeah, man, it's it's. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there. Sometimes the technology is just not there, and if it's not there, then then leave it alone. Now, if they would have spent you know a lot, a lot, a lot of money and time and and, and all of that on that, and not to say you know that anybody did a bad job, but the the. Whatever time and money and, and technology was spent just didn't cut it. Like it's yeah. not it's not enough. I mean, it's a Flash movie. Yeah. We know the character of the Flash. He's gonna he's he's really gonna be heavy in CGI. Sure. Yeah. There's Got no it. way you can make those. You can, there's no way you can practical do anything about the Flash. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about that for a second. And, and I agree with you. Cut some slack because. You know what is what is Flash's superpower to, to run really fast? How do you make right. that look cool? You, right. know, you can't like you, you gotta you gotta do some. Something but it, I mean, at least to make it look passable. I mean, the scenes where Ezra, Ezra Miller was running, I mm -hmm. mean, his head basically didn't move. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, have you never seen the physics of somebody running? I I'm gonna say probably not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just. Just interesting all around, and and I, I don't know, Bob. I do I do want to talk about that for for just a second. Again, I already brought it up, so so it's whatever. But <clears throat> as far as uh, have you ever really dug into that Kevin Smith script? Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you're familiar with it. You know, I'm familiar with it, but I haven't really dug into it that much. I mean, I know a little bit of it, but I mean, not not a whole lot. I mean, this thing could have been so cool, and, and yes, it had Superman fighting a giant spider, and it was around the same time that Wild Wild West came out with its giant <laughs> steampunk spider and everything, but I don't know. It's it's something, I mean, I will say for fan service purposes, that was a, a, a cool grab yeah, for fan service. Yeah, yeah. Now, some of the rest of it just felt like a weird desperate attempt at, at Oh, and there was a whole lot of fan service. Yeah, uh, a lot. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I just, I, I do think that it's, it's 
trying to think of, of words to describe what's going on here. Yeah. A hot mess. Well, yeah. I the only I, I guess the only thing I can say is is I really hope that maybe maybe somewhere out there there's a little bit of renewed interest in that Superman project with Nick Cage. Dig that script up, do something with it. Shit, make it a, a 30 minute animated feature and and I don't know, let Nick Cage voice Superman, whatever. Whatever you gotta do to to make something happen or make it a comic, you know, you could do that yeah, too. Yeah. Uh, that, that could be really cool. But I think there's definitely something there. At least for me, I, I thought that that was cool uh, for, for anybody, you know, really into superhero movies and stuff at, at that time period, you know, knowing that that never happened was, was a big uh, crushing blow. So all in all, um, it took you two passes to watch the movie. It took me, I, I did sit there and finish it in the one, um, Actually, you know, before we get to the end of it, uh, what about, I, I have to point out two more bad things. <laughs> two more before I can finish. Just two more? Um, yeah, just two more. Look, why why the scene with his mom in the grocery store? Now, why yeah, I, why I, throw that in there? Because I, it was yeah. clunky. It was weird. It to was me, awkward. it didn't go anywhere. No, and, and I'm sorry. I get his perspective on it. You know, he wants to see his mom again, talk to her, give her a hug, whatever, sure. I don't have a problem with that, but the mom's interaction is so not believable. Uh, why is she going to treat some stranger at the store this way? Like, I get she's a nice person. We get that about her and, and everything, and she has a kind heart, but this was a little too over the top. It was weird. It was strange. I didn't like it, um, and, and it felt odd. And then the last <laughs> you know, thing I want to talk about is that end credit scene. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have no idea what the deal with that in credit scene was. Yeah, what what was the purpose of that? Shoehorn Jason Momoa in? Yeah, more fan service for no apparent reason, for a dead universe that's going nowhere, that has another movie coming out. <laughs> yeah, so all in all, uh, a big win for DC, a wonderful movie. Um, everyone should go out and watch it. Not really, but... Yeah, if, if, you did, if you didn't get that, folks, he was laying it on kind of thick. Yeah. Uh, I'll never watch it again, but that was a movie that Bob and I saw. So I guess, you know, we could say we saw it. Yeah, that's about the most we can say. <laughs> yeah, interesting, interesting movie. Um, I, I I don't know, Bob, unless you got any other news, that, that'll probably wrap up the news section. I, I really don't have any news. Yeah. Uh, um, myself yeah so that wraps up the news section we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about new books that came out in comic book shop and we are back with the all new all different number one comics podcast episode number 34 that's right in case you didn't pay attention to the 80 times that i said it already this is episode number 34 you know because why why the hell not let's talk about some new books that came out in comic book shops this week supposedly bob of course you know as well as i do our local comic book shop was robbed of their dc and lunar books not mm. robbed but the palette was lost or whatever whatever the the word on the street was there but I we did essentially they were robbed yeah we got no dc books we also didn't i wasn't able to get my copy of uh, distilleries the devil's cut because that comes in through lunar as well so that did come in today uh but as you know um, we were we were playing in the world of retail today and not at the local comic book shop to pick up books, so so I haven't read that yet. But 
here are some books that uh, came out, you know, hopefully for, for all of you guys at your shops. <laughs> From Image Comics, we have Local Man Gold, a one-shot in the Local Man universe by Tim Seeley. So very, very cool. That book has been amazing. I really like it a lot. I'm excited to read this one-shot, and it's got, like, cool, you know, uh, early 90s image uh, look to the book and everything, uh, cover and all that. I think the one that I picked up was, like, gold foil embossed or something so nice. i think I, I could be wrong but uh from dc comics again we didn't see any dc comics but supposedly these came out action comics presents doomsday special number one this had some really really awesome covers of the doomsday i really liked a lot of these covers i was really excited to check out the book i'm kind of sad that it's got to wait but whatever got batman catwoman the gotham war battle lines number one I, I'm not going to lie to you, Bob. I'm not even going to bother with uh, the Gotham War. I, I seriously don't care. I'll, I'll pick them up because, you know, Batman's in my pool and so is Catwoman. Uh, There's too many wars that go on in Gotham. Yeah, man. Can't I there just... be another city that gets a war? Yeah, exactly. Like Central City War. <laughs> well, no, because then how are we going to make it about Batman? So, I mean, Batman can hire out his... Um, <laughs> His detectiving abilities. I, I mean, he could, but, you know, then we wouldn't have Gotham to worry about for all day. Uh, we got Nort's Illustrated Swimsuit Edition one-shot. This is just <laughs> silly nonsense, you know. Yeah, I saw some images from this. Yeah. It's kind of off the wall. Oh, yeah, very, very off the wall. Um, but, but yeah, just, you know, they, they do this kind of thing. DC and Marvel both do it. Weird little one-shots in the... And, and, and continuity, I guess, but uh, I don't know. Uh, we also got Night Terror's Night's End with the first appearance of Dr. Hate. So, uh, first appearance of Bob there, Dr. Hate. Uh, over to Marvel, we got Incredible Hulk number three with the first and, I guess, last appearance of Brother Deep. <laughs> first and last appearance. Yeah, huh? he, he appears, but uh, spoiler alert, he dies in this issue. So, so this it's is, basically like a... Uh, what is it? Avengers number nine. First, first in what we thought was the last appearance of Wonder Man. Yeah, well, it was supposed to be the last, but, you know, he came back. He came back to life, kids. Don't worry. Yeah, this this run of Incredible Hulk has been really cool so far. This is only the third issue, but, Bob, I don't know if you've read any of them. Man, you're, you're really missing out. This is a really, really cool run of Incredible Hulk. It's, it's really good. Each issue is introducing new characters, and they're they're cool. So, yeah, I'm, I'm liking this a lot. Really excited with this team. Uh, we got a Marvel Age 1000. I don't know what you call these. They're, they're one-shots, basically, yeah. but they put these out. This has... All right, Bob, are you ready for this? Because I, I don't know if you are. Okay. We're bringing back the Marvel stamp. So this has a Marvel <laughs> stamp in it, but I, I just want you... Just don't cut it out. No, please don't. I want you to guess. I'm sure we've already talked about it, but do you know whose stamp is in this book? Oh, um... I think we did talk about this. Um, we did. It, come on, you got to remember, Bob. It's it's a it's a hot new character everybody's talking about. I honestly can't remember. Bob, it's got a Spider Boy stamp in it. So, Spider Boy. Okay. Yes, uh, Spider Boy. Everybody's new favorite character in the Spider Man universe. We got a Spider Boy. Again, do not stamp. cut out stamp. <laughs> yeah, probably not a great idea. Um, we got the Moon Knight annual with the Contest of Chaos crossover. We also got Star Wars Mandalorian Season 2, Issue Number 3. Bob, 
Bob, this has the first appearance of three characters that I'll never be able to say their names, <laughs> but I'm sure as hell going to try because, uh, you know, it's part of the drinking game on the podcast. Uh, drink every time that I mess up a name. Well, plus I'll correct you. Yeah, that and some people are going to be very, very drunk. Oh, yes. There. Oh, yes. <laughs> Get ready for the hate. Yeah, so uh, Katana Kreisi? Kreese. Kreese? Kreese. Oh, okay. Well, sure. I mean, I put the E. Uh, whatever. Uh Koska Reeves? Koska Reeves? K-O-S-K-A. You're pretty... You, you got it close. <laughs> okay, okay. Axe Woves. That one I did. That one I cannot remember. <laughs> okay. Yeah, are you, do you know who any of these people are, Bob? Um... The the first the first one I know she's I know the character related to Bo-Katan Kreeze. Oh, okay, that makes sense because of the last name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> surname is that how you say that? Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, surname. Well, I'm gonna have to dig in these characters a little bit more, but I, I I'm not gonna lie to you. I did not pick up a copy of Star Wars uh, Mandalorian season two episode number three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think I picked up all of the first season. Um, books, but I, I stopped at the second, so. We also got Ultimate Invasion number three, yes. that Ultimate Invasion book that we're loving so much. This has the debut of Ultimate Kang Armor. Ooh. Yeah, so. I have not, I have not read it yet, so. Yeah, me, I haven't, I haven't read it yet either. I read issue number two and I really liked it a lot, yeah. but yeah, I haven't read this one. Uh, we also got Wolverine 36. We talked about this last week, the first appearance of Helverine. Man, why why not? You know, Helverine, I I love it. I'm, I'm very excited about that. Going a little overboard with that. Nah, Going come on, man. it's fun. Key. It's fun. Come on. And from Boom Studios, we got Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 30th Anniversary Special Number One, a big oversized ten dollar issue. You know, I picked mine up from IDW. IDW is doing all of their endless summer one shots, and and this week that included Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. My Little Pony, Dungeons and Dragons, and Sonic the Hedgehog. From Distillery, like I said, we got the Devil's Cut number one, but no, I did not get my copy <laughs> yet, so I'm very bitter about that. It's an 88-page anthology. It's got stories by S- Scott Snyder, James Tinney and the Fourth, uh, Tula Lote, Mark Andolfo, uh, Jock, Becky Cloonan, Brian Azriello. Uh, just some huge, huge names in the world of comics, of course. Some very talented yeah very and from whatnot slash massive i guess whatnot's changing their uh name to massive uh publishing we got the plot holes number one sounded like a cool book i don't have the synopsis right in front of me but basically uh there's a lot of those in comics nowadays yeah exactly uh but the plot holes number one sounded like a good book it actually if i'm being honest it sounds like the first good synopsis i've read from a whatnot publishing book so sometimes they have really great creators on there uh, you know people doing cool stuff or whatever but it doesn't seem like they've really uh, found any way to flesh out the writing or what they're going for but this one sounded like a cool book Um, Mm -hmm. so so those are some of the new books that came out this week we're gonna take a quick break and we will return and talk about miss marvel the new mutant number one A battle for humanity's future is being waged on American soil right now. The cannabis plant has been used by humans for thousands of years. 
and yet it is still severely criminalized in much of the world. But the world is changing. Yay! In the U.S., 37 states have legalized cannabis for medical purposes, and 18 have done so for recreational use by adults. In Illinois, legalized cannabis has spurred an explosion of new businesses and products, all bringing in a massive stream of newly created revenue that other states are eager to match. Yet federally, cannabis faces much of the same resistance of the 1900s. How did marijuana get such a bad reputation? Why is it still so federally restricted? How are smoking and vaping different? How many edibles are too many? Which companies are coming out with the best new products? And who benefits from keeping Mary Jane in the dark? These are the types of questions we'll attempt to answer on the Cannabis Man podcast. A thorough look at all things cannabis, from its history to its explosion in states that have legalized it. So look out for the Cannabis Man podcast, coming soon wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to the all new, all different number one comics podcast, episode number 34. In case you missed it before, it's episode number 34. The running theme of this. How many episode. episodes has there been? Um, there's been 33 up until this one, and now this one is 34. Okay. So you're saying the next one is going to be 35. I certainly hope the next one is 35, because if it's not, <laughs> then my numbering is going to be all messed up. Uh, welcome to the 100th episode <laughs> of the podcast. Thank you so much for wow, that was this quick. long. I mean, it's coming up, Bob. Don't worry. Either way, let's talk about this new book, Bob. We've got Marvel Comics, Miss Marvel, The New Mutant, number one. I'd like to read the synopsis from Marvel's website if you'll hear it. Kamala Khan is back, and she's an X-Man. I had to yell it because there's an exclamation point, and it's all in capitals. That's right. The good news is that fresh off her world-saving death, Kamala has been brought back by a Krakoian resurrection technology. Oh, we could only be so lucky, Bob, to bring, be brought back from, from Krakoan resurrection technology. Basically, Lazarus Pit. Uh, hey, hey, hey. This is a different <laughs> universe. What a way to learn she's a mutant. The bad news is her debut at the Hellfire Gala didn't go exactly as planned, and now all of mutant kind are being hunted worldwide. Into this world of hate and fear, Kamala has a secret mission to pull off for the X-Men, all while struggling to acclimate to this new part of her identity. And to say that stuff didn't go exactly as planned at the Hellfire Gala is definitely a <laughs> understatement. Um, we all know what happened there at the Hellfire Gala, but we won't talk about that here on this podcast right now. Instead, we are going to talk about the creators of this book. Let's talk about Sabir Prasada. Um, that's probably not even close to how we pronounce the name, but we tried, so sorry. I do Sabir. my best, folks. Yeah, uh, Bob, Bob uh, does the research, makes sure that the uh, names are as close as they can be. Sabir has worked on Cult of Carnage, Misery, on Affliction from Arcana Studios, on Dark Web Miss Marvel, so some experience with Miss Marvel there, uh, Marvel's Voices, Marvel Identity, Dark Web, and, and that's pretty much it. Uh, that's, that's what Sabir has worked on. Some really cool stuff, but not a, a, a lot of stuff. So. Right. Uh, this is co-written by Iman Valani, who is Miss Marvel who plays Kamala Khan on the hit TV show, Miss Marvel. 
She's also going to be in the new Marvel, the MCU uh, Studios movie, The Marvels, along with uh, Brie Larson as Carol Danvers. So this has a very interesting writing team. Uh, very, very interesting that those two kind of plotted this out together and wrote mm-hmm. out a story. Uh, we've also got two artists on the book. Now, I'm not sure what the reasoning for that was. And, and they're both credited as the artist. I don't think that one is, is you know, doing something different. You know, they're just, I, I'm not sure how that worked exactly or, or what they did. That's something I'd probably have to dig into a little bit more. Maybe it's kind of like the Dan Pinotion thing on the Alice Never After book where certain things are drawn by right. one and certain things are drawn right. by the other. But I don't mm-hmm. know the, the difference, so I'm not too sure. Yeah, and I, I really wasn't able to see much of a difference art style-wise. Yeah, I agree book. with you. It's like I, I do, but I don't. Um, because... It, it almost feels like this book kind of jumps around in art from like page to page, to mm-hmm. tell you the truth. Not in a bad way. It's very interesting. Um, and it's consistent, but it sort of just jumps around in style. So mm-hmm. we have uh, Carlos Gomez. Oh, and, and the reason I don't say anything else about Iman Vellani's uh, other work in comics is because this is her first outing. This is the first thing she's written. So uh, there's no other credits to, to say to her name other than acting. But... Um, I assume we will see her name a lot more. I'm, I'm hoping we will see her name a lot more. Um, but uh, Carlos Gomez is a pretty... What, what's the word? Um, a, what's the word? When, you, when you're like going steady with somebody, uh, he's, he's a... Uh, oh, come on, Bob. You I, just, I just say affiliated. Nah, come on. There's a word. Uh, God, I can't think of it now. Either way, he's... yeah. He works for Marvel for the most part, but he's also done some stuff for Dynamite. Uh, he's worked on Red Sonja. He's worked on The Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man Adventures, The Amazing Mary Jane, Jim Butcher's The Drenison Files, Wild Card, Exterminators, Pathfinder, Pathfinder Hollow Mountain, America Chavez, Made in the USA, Bob, one of the greatest Marvel miniseries, America Chavez, Made in the USA, love that series. Also worked on Secret Warps, if you remember that uh, Marvel event that was really fun. Did some stuff at Rogue and Gambit, Uncanny X-Men, Sinister War, Captain Marvel, Black Widow, Giant Size X-Men tribute to Len Wein and Dave Cockrum, and X of Swords, Hellions. Look, the list goes on and on and on, but done a lot of work over there at Marvel and some stuff at Dynamite. And then we have Adam Gorham who is the other artist on this book, worked on Jughead the Hunger, one of the greatest horror books in recent memory. Love all the Archie horror stuff. Uh, The Blue Flame for Vault Comics, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at IDW, Rocket over at Marvel, New Mutants Dead Souls, Images, The Violent, Punk Mambo from Valiant, if anybody remembers that book, because I sure as hell do. Uh, Breakout from Dark Horse, the picture of everything else from Vault, Dead Drop from Valiant, and uh, some work on the Silver Coin over at Image, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Stranger Things crossover. Uh, again, the list goes on and on. Lots, lots of credit there. So, so yeah, I want to get into my synopsis of the book really quick, and then we're going to start talking about this thing, Bob. So my synopsis reads, Miss Marvel, the new mutant, opens with Kamala in a dream-slash-nightmare as she fights a giant disembodied hand and meets... The new character, hopefully, Dr. Surfer, 
I, I don't know what I was saying there when I wrote that. But <laughs> oh, oh, new character, hopefully, is what I meant. Uh, new character, hopefully. Gotcha. Dr. Surfer. Okay, okay, that makes more sense. I don't understand my own context. <laughs> <laughs> then she's awakened by her brother and her BFF, Bruno, is there to take her away to the Orcus campus as her family says goodbye to her. The pair arrive at the Orcus Science Center and meet Kamala's new roommate, Michelle. Kamala leaves Bruno and Michelle to take the subway to the underground where the mutants now hide. Kamala passes a giant alligator when Shadow Cat with a K, Bob. That Shadow Cat with a K. See, so you know, you know it's supposed to be, you know, a different version. I, I know. Because yes. it's a different letter. Yeah, and I mean, she looks a little different too, yeah, right? she does. She looks kind of like a, uh, a uh, Mortal Kombat character. <laughs> like a really cool one. Let's get Shadow Cat in Mortal Kombat. Next Mortal Kombat, thank you. Thank hey, you uh, Bond's in Mortal Kombat. I agree. Uh, Kamala enters the mutant's lair and sees Rasputin 4 as well as Sink and Talion. And they explain to her that since her mutation hasn't manifested just yet, she should be able to stay undetected by Orcus. So they ask her to check out a secret underground lab. Between all of this, Kamala is dealing with wanting to tell Bruno about her death and rebirth and new mutant abilities or new mutant whatever identity and telling the X-Men about her nightmares. Finally, Camilla tells, sorry, Kamala tells Bruno about her new mutant life, and of course, he's very supportive because it's Bruno and he's freaking awesome. And just then, Bruno detects an existential, or sorry, an extraterrestrial threat. Not existential, that's me, not them. <laughs> Kamala puts on her X-Men suit, revealing that there is now a mutant at the school, and she begins to fight the Shatari, who's clearly being experimented on due to his cool missing arm and tubes hanging out from him. But the Shatari is a ticking time bomb, and Kamala uses her powers to shield everyone around her as he explodes. As everyone at the school worries that a mutant is now on campus, Kamala, Kamala goes back to Bruno and stays up to play video games so that she doesn't fall asleep, but she does begin to drift off, and then we flash over to the secret lab, chase Kroll, the supporting, or sorry, supervising officer, is getting grilled for not detecting the mutant on campus by another new character named Nakia. Nit, I, I I don't know how we're supposed to say that. N i t k i a. Uh, I'll, I'll just say Nakia because I don't know how to say it. <laughs> As she is asked by Kamira Sharpender. <laughs> Sorry, I'm horrible with names, as we all know. Shapander. Shapander, okay. That's an existing character, too, so I should know how to say her name. But uh, if she has some kind of alliance with Kamala and our Officer Shapander, then announces that they'll implement the new Trojan Horse program. And that kind of wraps up the issue. Uh, it, it ends with that and, you know, just a little screen with Miss Marvel on it there. So... Be glad, be glad the book ends there. Yeah, Jesus, yeah. So <laughs> there, there's a lot going on in this book. Um, Bob, let's talk about this book really quick. Uh, what about this book? There's a lot going on in this book. There is. I, before we get into the beats and narrative and all that kind of stuff, just give me some overall impressions. Do, what did you think about this book? Well, especially when... I'm I'm sorry. This uh, this is just one specific part of the book in general. Yep. But when you were reading your synopsis uh -huh. about them staying up to watch video games yep. and not wanting to fall asleep, 
I got such big Friday the 13th vibes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, yes. definitely. Uh, yes. No, this is cool. I was, I'll say this. I was scared when I opened this book because the dream sequence, I mean, I figured something was amiss, of course, but uh, mm -hmm. it just, it felt so weird and it lasted for kind of long, to tell you the truth. I mean, I hate to say it. But it, it felt a little long there. You know, we're just coming mm -hmm. off watching yeah. The Flash and things feeling unnecessary and too long. It felt a little unnecessary and too long. Once I got to Dr. Surfer there, I mean, I got a little more excited, of course. Yeah. And yeah. then once I saw, you know, her waking up and uh, at, at her house and everything, you know, I, I was definitely a lot more excited. But, yeah, that those first few pages I was a little nervous about. Um, and, and then it made up for it, absolutely. 100%. But I, I do feel like it was important to, to peer into her dreams or her nightmares and everything so we could kind of see what was going on there uh, because it plays such a big part in this book that right. she's having these and, and, and everything. So Yeah, I mean, she's she's not used to, you know, being a mutant. So, yes, I mean, exactly. This shows, you know, what's going on in her head. I yes. mean, subconsciously, mm -hmm. you know, how she's trying to process the fact that she found out she's a mutant. Yep. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now that she's uh, resurrected and, and, and a mutant, that's got to be a big, big thing for her. Um, well, well, Bob, then, then let's go into our, our usual here. Let's talk about the story beats. Uh, how did you feel like this went from, from point A to point B? I already talked a little bit about, you know, it opening with the dream sequence here and then it going over to, you know, kind of introducing Kamala to, you know, the, the, the reading audience and then uh, going over to the campus and then meeting up with the X-Men and then, and then kind of what happens in the back, you know, later portion of the book. Um, I felt like this was you know, done really well. Uh, it seems like a very linear story. It yeah. tells it. Uh, yeah. I was a little scared. They were going to do a lot of flashbacking and yeah, stuff. I was too. I was the Hellfire too. Gala and all that. And they, they didn't do any of that. So uh, there's not a lot of exposition here. There's definitely no exposition dumps or anything. It tells a uh, comic the way that it should. I I always like to relate. Uh, look, they're two different characters, and it's not that I feel like they're similar or anything, but the way the storytelling is, is pretty similar to me. I like the way that Miss Marvel is always set up kind of the same way like an old Spider-Man book is set up. Right, yeah. You know, uh, there's just the right amount of exposition um, there's not really dumps and then there's a lot of what's going on at home and everything and then a lot of what's going on with like kind of the villain of the week or whatever and, and, and then there's that overarching story that's happening too. So right. I, I really appreciate the way that this is written and, and how it takes a, a page from, you know, how, how Kamala's always been written and, and, and kind of, you know, arcing back to that classic like Spider-Man type of story too. So. I, I really like it a lot. I think the story beats work wonderfully here. So how about the narrative? I think that Iman should definitely nail um, Kamala's <laughs> narrative, but, but what about the overall narrative of the book? We don't have a breakdown. We don't know who's writing what. I, I would imagine, and I did listen to a short interview with Iman on the, uh, there's a Marvel, uh, This Week in Marvel podcast. Uh, they mm -hmm. talked to her for a minute, and she did talk a little bit about working with uh, I forget his name now, Sabir, but um, uh, on the comic. And the reason that she wanted a co-writer was, you know, she's never written anything right, before. Right, so, so, I mean, you can't blame her, of course. But, no. you know, she said that he did, like, a lot more of the reeling 
reeling in, you know, like how are we going to tell this whole story here? Let's break it up mm-hmm. into these chunks mm-hmm. and, 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 and all of that stuff, which makes sense. But it seems like she came up with the initial script pretty much herself and then decided to tell the story. So, uh, so what do you think about the, the narrative of this book and the narrative of these characters and everything? In uh, it? I definitely like it, especially if, you know, she wrote the majority of it yeah. herself. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that is, I mean, that is a very great start. Yeah. She's got a future in comics. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's very impressive. It uh, is. Very, uh, I mean, to say that she has such a good handle on Kamala, you know, is an understatement. She plays the character, so right. so understood. But but even that, I mean, you have to think she's being, there's a script being written and it's being directed by somebody and all of that. And I'm not saying, I mean, she's got her acting chops already and she's got line delivery and all of that, you know, on her own. But to take something from a character that you're playing to writing it on paper and then having somebody else illustrate it are two very different things. Uh, very, very different. And to keep that tone consistent throughout that process is, is very impressive in my opinion for somebody who's so new to, to this. And we know Iman reads comic books. She talks about that, you know, in interviews and stuff. She is a comic book fan. She has a local comic book shop that she picks up a pool from she goes there and you know sits down and signs copies of Miss Marvel, you know, for for people who go to the shop. So, uh, really, really cool. But you know, she does read comic books and she talks a lot about comic books. Just in that interview, you know, and that interview was it's not a fan cast like yours and ours. It is a Marvel podcast. You know, Marvel employees are are the ones that that host that podcast. You know, she's sitting there and talking about other comics, too. She's talking about independent comics. She's talking about DC comics. She reads comic books. It's not just a a thing she's paid to play a character or whatever. So she is an actual fan, and you can really... I feel like that comes across in the writing here. Um, I love the fact that in the dream sequence, and and when you look at uh, Comic Geek... um, When you look at the Comic Geek app and everything, and it talks about all of the, uh, you know, supporting cast and then uh, cameos and stuff like that... It lists every single one of these characters because just, I mean, it has every single character from all these teams. You know, you have your champions, you've got your Avengers, you've got just all your Inhumans and then the X-Men and stuff. And all of these characters are are written here in the book. I think that that's, you know, from from somebody who reads comics, you know, just saying, like, I I want all these characters in my comic. I, I want Iron Man in there. I want... Nova in there and stuff like that. It's really, really cool. I, I, I really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, this this overall narrative here, uh, Kamala, uh, Bruno, um, you know, even some of the X-Men and, and, and all of that, I, I feel like the narrative is, is really nailed. It's really nailed down really well. And, and this is done really, really good. What about the dialogue then, Bob? What do you have to say about the dialogue? Because I'm sure you've got words. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, the dialogue definitely fits. Yeah. I mean, especially with like Kamala Khan. Mm-hmm. It's to me, it's like the dialogue from her TV show. Yes, yes. Just in comic form. Exactly, it carries over so well, it and does. I think that she just knows this character inside and out, and and really is identifies with the character, obviously, but is is playing an extension of herself, you know, on, on the screen and then, you know, writing it on, on the page here. So, so yeah, this, this dialogue really works well for me. She's nailed the tone. She's nailed the, the way the characters talk and everything. And then to, to bring in some of these other characters here uh, throughout the book, um, definitely 
you know, when she's talking to Bruno, when, when she's talking to Shadowcat, when, you know, all of that stuff, uh, even when she's talking to the Shatari, uh, <laughs> you know, just, I, I don't know, really, really good stuff here. I'm really enjoying it a lot. I am I'm struggling to even find uh, really anything to critique it on. It's kind of hard. I, I really like it. It's, it's just got such a good tone to it. So how about the world building then, Bob? And 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 of course then we'll move over to art and talk about that and see if we have any caveats, but how about this world building cuz there is a lot of world building for you know, we have to go to the uh, you, you, uh yeah exactly you start with kamala's head yep mm -hmm. essentially in the flashback yes uh -huh. or essentially in the dream sequence and i mean then you get a look at um then i mean you get a look at you know new york and then you get a look at the orcus campus mm -hmm. yeah which i mean i i really like the campus a yeah. lot i think it's a, a really nice campus it's I'm, yeah, it, I'm, it it does it, it it reminds me of just like you know like an MIT kind of stuff. yeah exactly it, it it's the you know, nice with, campus with, yeah. with the grand buildings uh -huh. and yep. all uh, and such and of course you get you know the sewers in New York which yeah I you mean, get the sewer and and I love it we talked about this before in our news section whenever a preview came out and I said there was going to be a giant alligator in this book now I wasn't aware it was only going to be like you know I think a total of like four or five panels here. But I love the alligator. I love I, I love her down in the sewers, and I love how Shadowcat comes out, and then we get to the entrance of the lair there and everything. Really, really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, the, the campus here, I, I think that's kind of what's shining for me. I'm really, really enjoying the campus, which is good. We're spending a majority of the book there, I, I, I believe. Mm -hmm. And even whenever we go to the underground lab and all of that, excuse me. <laughs> um, just really fleshed out, really cool. looks looks wonderful, feels wonderful. The world feels built up and, and lived in, and and all of that feels like a new, you know, newer campus. That's uh, really got some money pumped into it and everything. So maybe we'll find out some more about that along the lines or, or down the road or whatever. But really, really cool. A win overall in the story for me, um, and, and from Bob as well. So what about the art then? Let's break into the art. What did you think about the character designs here? I I, I like the character designs. I yeah. mean, none of them look, none of them look like they were copy and pasted. No, not there. at all. Yeah. I mean, and then in the you know dream sequence, just yep. the fact that we got every single character from every one of those teams. Man, we we have everyone, and when I'm saying everyone, like everyone. It's on. Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> I'm just yawning nonstop today. But everyone is is in this thing. We, mm -hmm. I mean, blink and you'll miss them. Wolverine's in there. Uh, you know, Beast mm -hmm. is in there. Uh, everybody is in there. And I really like the inclusion. And and I'm hoping. Uh, I know I said it in my synopsis, but I'm hoping Doctor Surfer will will come back up again because very cool character. Yeah, man, I need that. That's that's so cool. But but yeah, everybody's in this thing, and the characters look great. Uh, the character designs are. Are done really well. This is focused on on Kamala here, of course, and her as a new mutant on all of that. And I think that you know the art, Kamala, the the art of Kamala and everything. Yes, it's it's done very very well. She looks wonderful in this. Looks really really good. It looks like the old Kamala that I'm used to, and it's just a top notch uh, rendering of of the character there. Yeah. So. 
Uh, how about the locations then, Bob? We talked about them in world building. Now let's talk about them in the artistic sense, uh, the, the illustrated sense. The locations um, of the of the campus, of the sewer, of the uh, Kamala back at home and her dream sequences, everything. Mm -hmm. Dude, the locations shine here. They are they are done so well. The locations and the backgrounds, um, really, really done really well. Well, yeah, and you know that's a big thing with me in yes, locations yes. is. What do the backgrounds of yep. said locations look like? Yeah, are they fleshed out? Are else? they lived in? Is there something we can look at other than just that main character? Yes. These are very detailed backgrounds. Yeah, they look great. You know what it's reminding me of a lot? Remember when we did Superman number one and we just had so many nice things to say about the right. art in that book? Right. I feel the same way here. When we're on campus, when, when we're out fighting the Shatari and everything, right. just... It's, it's so fleshed out. It looks so good, and there's so it much does. going on. There's so much to look at, but it doesn't take away from the characters. It doesn't take away from you know the eye-catchingness of, of, of their faces, of their hair, of you know what they're wearing and everything. Just really, really good artwork in this book. Really impressive art. Um, how about the colors then, Bob? We kind of we did the backgrounds and the locations together, uh, and, and we do have... Uh, separate colorist on this book and that is uh, someone who uh, Eric uh, Eric A <laughs> we'll call him because there's no hope that I'll ever ever be able to say that last name but um, yeah what about the colors how, how did you feel in, in contrast to the artwork Does it, is it working for you is yeah, it complimentary I, um, yeah the color the colors here pop yeah and I mean especially in a book focusing on Miss Marvel yes which I mean, we all know, especially from, you know, the TV show, mm -hmm. how, you know, Miss Marvel as a character is presented. Yep. Those, you know, brighter colors work. Yes. In this book. Yeah. And, and again, you got to take a page from, and I don't say this by any means as like it being a thing that uh, they're taking from or anything, but you've got a, a kid in high school. So it's, it's kind of, you know, it's. You take a page from that Peter Parker thing. You, you get that. Um, right. The, the colors are reminding me of that. It's reminding me. I, I think this is where the book is not traditional house style for Marvel. Um, the art's a little different. I, I feel like it's it's a, a level up from the Marvel house style, if I'm being honest. But I feel like that's how the colors reel it in and make it kind of like, you know, you can open the book and say this is definitely a Marvel book. It's got that Marvel house style style on the coloring and it makes it consistent with the universe, with the, mm -hmm. with the 616 and everything, but but it, it, it shines. It pops here, and it, it looks really well. You've got it open to this heroic panel of uh, Kamala debuting her X-Men costume, and, I mean, dude, the colors in this just are amazing. That's, that's I mean, so you, cool. Yeah, I mean, you have the sun. You got the rays of the yeah, sun. And shining into the trees there. Right, yeah, and then you got, you know, Kamala just standing there in yep. her heroic <laughs> pose. Yes. Just outstanding. Just really, really yeah. good stuff. Um, we can't say enough good stuff about it, so I think that the next question will be easy. Bob, uh, you throwing this on your pool. You're going to continue on to issue number two or not? Oh, I'm definitely going on to issue two. Yeah, man. I cannot wait to see what happens in issue number two. I'm, I'm really excited about the story. I'm really excited about Iman's uh, development as a writer. That, that's, one of the, that's one of the biggest yes. things I'm looking forward to is just... Because, I mean, we've all seen books like this mm -hmm. where it's written from the, 
you know, actor yep. actress's mm-hmm. yeah, standpoint. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And some of them, well, let me let me rephrase <laughs> that. Most of them fall flat. You're very right. Especially, you know, because these actors and actresses, I mean, they haven't really written anything before, mm-hmm. and it's their first mm-hmm. time. So, yeah, most of them fall flat. Iman's first time, I mean, you know, ghostwriter or no ghostwriter. Yeah. You know, I mean, she doesn't seem like a first-timer. No, not at all. And like, like I said before... You can tell that she really reads comics because she understands the scripting of one. She understands the pacing. She understands how to wrap it on that cliffhanger that it needs to end on. So, so people like you and I want to read issue number two. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, she's doing very, very well. Again, like I don't know exact the exact process. I'm not sure how much. I I don't know if it's a 75-25 split between her and Sabir or what, or if it's 50-50 or what's going on. But I think that it's really good that she had like kind of a mentor on this or somebody that she could go to with questions or somebody to kind of reel her in or, or whatever it is. But uh, again, she did that on her own. She was asked to do this and and she said, yes, but I want, you know, somebody that I can turn to if I need help or whatever. And I mean, even. Even even if it is 75, 25, even if it is a lower threshold than that, I'm very, very impressed here. Right. And I'm really excited to see what else she does in comics. And I'm really mm-hmm. excited to see what she does with the series. So definitely a win. Um, very, very good book. Uh, I mean, I, I'm really, really impressed with this one. So, I mean, Bob, I'm starting to see, you know, throughout the year, we've had books that, you know, we really loved. We've had some books that, you know, we were lukewarm on. We've had a, a book here or two that we didn't enjoy that much. Um, the last chunk of books have just been this high, high level of just well-executed comic books. Um, it's going to be so hard by the end of the year to, to pick a favorite because I am going to make you do that. So I hope you're ready. But yeah, um, yeah like I told you before, we're, we're doing an award show, Bob. We're, you got to pick a top 10. You got to pick... You got to nominate a favorite. We got to we got to go all out. But um, it's it's the competition starting to get very very stiff. Like it's it's going to be hard. So, which is ironic you do that because I believe the VMAs are tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'll have to tune in. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, uh, just definitely a contender here. This is a very very wonderful book, and yeah. I'm really really impressed with it. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and we will be right back. Hello and welcome back to the all-new, all-different, number one comics podcast. We, of course, have a very, very special guest on the podcast for this episode. Everybody, please welcome Erica Schultz, the amazing uh, writer of some of your favorite comic books that are out right now. And, of course, uh, writer amongst other things, but we'll get into all of that in just a moment. Erica, thank you so much for taking out the time to talk to us today and welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You know, Keeping my head above water, just like everybody else these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're doing it. You're uh, you're knocking out some amazing work. Uh, like I said, uh, a, a lot of people's favorite comics coming out right now. You did uh, X23, Deadly Regenesis, just uh, amazing five part mini that um, really kind of fleshed out the character a, a, a lot more than she already was, and just a really really cool comic that 
I know everybody I've ever talked to about it really enjoys a lot. Uh, of, of course, we're going to be talking about Hallow's Eve a lot today. Uh, I'm really excited about that one. That just wrapped up. And then, of course, you had the uh, Spider-Man annual as well. And you've got a one-shot coming up that uh, you're bringing back uh, some of the creative team with you on that. And that's really cool. So really, really excited about that to see where that goes and everything. But yeah, to get us started, um, you know, just to kind of tell your origin story, as, as far as I know, you began as an animator. Is, is that correct? <laughs> uh, yeah, I started at a studio working as uh, an animator on uh, the Astonishing X-Men motion comic. I did most of the lip sync animation. And um, at that studio, we were working on comics, we were working on a bunch of stuff, and uh, you kind of had to do a little bit of everything. So I was coloring, inking, animated, as I said. Um, and uh, yeah, I started looking at some stories that I had had, uh, that I had written, but you know, never really did anything with them. And I figured, okay, well, let's see if I can take one of these stories and put it into the comics form. And I partnered with one of the artists in the studio, uh, Vicente Alcazar, and uh, we had a 12 issue uh, Maxa series that we put out on our own called M3. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and M3, I haven't got a chance to, to read yet. I've heard some really, really great things about it. Uh, was that, I, I know that that was a collaborative effort, like you just said, you, you worked with a, another creator on that as well. Uh, was that something that you had brewing? Was that something you guys talked about together? Was that, uh, where did M3 come from? Uh, I had had uh, uh, I had had some stories that I had written down, basically more or less in prose, and that was one of the stories. This idea of this, you know, character, uh, this assassin who sort of had a murky past, and uh, was trying to, you know, be on a redemption arc, and um, so I had mentioned it to Vicente, and we we discussed it more and more, and uh, it, it was, I mean, it was a definitely a collaborative effort a hundred percent. And, um, you know, we took it to, it was two story arcs. So we had mm -hmm. the first story arc was six issues and then the second was six issues. Um, and we were looking to possibly go to 18. Um, but we ended up starting, you know, getting so busy with other work and stuff that, um, that we didn't go that route, but I mean, putting out 12 issues over, the course of about three and a half, four years was, uh, was a feat, in, you know, in and of itself. So. Yeah. I can't even imagine a, a lot of the listeners to this show are aspiring comic book creators, writers, artists, all of those things. And, you know, we always try to talk to creators here on the show about their process and how they got started and all of that. And, and like you said, pumping out, 12 issues in, in such a short amount of time, you know, writing all that, uh, that concept and then uh, storyboarding it and everything else. Just, yeah, that, that sounds amazing, <laughs> like a giant task. So really, really cool. And this was like a critically acclaimed uh, series. This obviously won some awards, won like a 2012 uh, best comic book award at the Burbank International Film Festival. So that's super exciting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we worked we worked really hard on it, and uh, we we sort of very. I mean, Vicente had worked in comics before, and mm -hmm. this was the first uh, book that I had written uh, for comics. But you know, we 
both wanted to tell a story that was uh, a little different from what was out there um, at the time, because it was uh, when we first, the first issue came out in 2010 mm -hmm. um, and the first trade came out in 2012. Um, and, and we just sort of had to, I mean, Vicente hadn't worked in comics in a while, so mm -hmm. he sort of had to, you know, re, uh, re familiarize himself with the process and I had to sort of create a process for myself. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you know, we, we, we did it. It was a lot of work, but, uh, but it definitely was, it was worth it. Yeah, I can only imagine, again, uh, pointing out there that, you know, this is your, your first real writing in, in comics. Uh, I mean, you, you've worked in comics a little bit, like you said, uh, and animating the lip sync and everything on that astonishing X-Men uh, motion comic. But I, I mean, you're in the field a little bit and then, and then you team up with you know, somebody else who, who worked in comics quite a while ago and, and, and was getting back into it and then uh, came out with this series. And, and again, let me point out one more time for the listening audience, your first, uh, your first real writing credit in comic books and, and ended up with, with a pretty prestigious award. Uh, you know, obviously that's not going to happen to everybody. <laughs> um, that's, that's a pretty unique scenario, but I mean, that should give the listeners and, and those up and coming creators some hope there. Uh, you really can come out with something amazing. Uh, you have the story in you. You just have to get it out on paper and and go ahead and do the thing. So always really cool to hear stuff like that. Uh, you know, people don't realize, like you said, you had to kind of come up with a process. It's not something that you had already arranged or anything like that. I, I don't imagine there's like a comic book scripting for dummies or anything that you picked up from the local Barnes and Noble. So it, it was something you kind of had to figure out on your own. Well, um, everyone's process is different because everyone has, you know, some people work better at night. Some people mm -hmm. work better during the day. Some people have kids. Some people have someone that they're taking care of. So a lot of it comes down to, you know, finding out when, when you yourself are the most productive or the most creative, but also how that works around the time that you have, you mm -hmm. know, how that works around when you are able to have time to have quiet, whether it, you, you're the type of person who needs quiet time or whether you're the type of person who can work in a busy coffee shop or something like that, you have to find your process that's specific to you. Um, because, I mean, I, I tell people what my process is and uh, when I used to teach, I would say, okay, this is how we're going to do this because you don't have your own process. So I'm going to give you mine mm -hmm. as a template. If it works for you, great. Then, you know, but if it doesn't work for you, then use this as an example of what not to do or pick and choose what works for you. Um, because you kind of have to create what, you know, you're going to be making the comics and you have to make it an enjoyable experience. I mean, it is work obviously, but you have to, do it to the point where you want to do this. So you have to make the you have to make it a comfortable experience, and that's different for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of, of course, like you said, everyone's going to kind of develop their own process or or whatever. But it's it's wonderful that you're able to kind of have a template that you can you know when you were instructing there at the Kubert School, uh, you know that you could kind of I don't know give to people hey, use this, start with this, here's a starting point, and then, you know, jump off and, and do what works for you, like you said. So uh, 
really, really cool. I, I'd love to talk to you about your process just a little bit. I don't want to, you know, spend too much time on it, but as far as, as your scripting process, are you, I, I, I've talked to a lot of different creators and, and again, like you've just said, everybody's so different. Do you uh, write like a general overview and then break that down and then uh, script it into comic book format? Are you thinking along the lines of, you know, this is a comic book and this is how I'm going to start with it. Uh, what's your beginning process like? Um, I, I have my standard process, which is if it's a project that I'm working on myself, mm -hmm. um, I will outline the entire story arc mm -hmm. and then I will uh, break that down into however many issues or chapters that the story is going to be. Mm -hmm. So what is this story going to accomplish as a whole? And then where are the different beats that are going to, uh, you know, where are we going to have the page turn? If I'm working for, uh, for like Marvel, uh, it depends because I like to outline everything and I like to get my outlines approved before I start scripting, but that, that doesn't always work because they're on very tight schedules and, mm -hmm. you know, your editor isn't just working with you. They're working with, a dozen other people you know they're coordinating artists and colorists and everything else so um it, while it it makes it a little tougher for me uh having to go issue by issue versus having the whole th you know um versus getting everything approved ahead of time um it, it's probably the easiest way for the editors because like i said i mean they've got so many other things going on um so I tend to, I always outline, and then I will break down once I know what is going, what part of the story is going to be within each issue, I will then break that down into how many pages. So if it's something that I'm doing on my own, I still try and keep a, a specific uh, page count because for budgetary issues, but also you don't want to tell your your artist, oh yeah, this one issue is going to be 20 pages, and the next one's going to be 30, because mm -hmm. they themselves have to um, you know, schedule their time and you don't want to impose on their time. Um, so keeping a standard page count for however many issues or however many chapters is important. So I'm like, okay, well, I've got, you know, 20 pages, 22 pages, 24 pages for this particular issue. Let's look at what happens in this, uh, in this issue. And let's see how many pages I want to allocate to each of these scenes you know, um, what would be a splash page? What wouldn't be a splash page? Um, when do I wanna have my page turn? Um, when you're dealing with comics like Marvel or DC, they have ads within the comic book. Mm -hmm. So if you have, they, they always say that you should have a splash page on an even number page because you turn the page and the even number page is on the left. Uh, and this way it's like this big reveal. Um, if you're writing a script and it turns out that your splash page is on an odd number page, which would be on the right-hand side, um, it's not a big deal because they could always put an ad in to, to cheat it. Mm -hmm. um, if you're working on um, a creator-owned book that doesn't have ads within the page, um, then you just need to, to keep that in mind uh, of your page turns. Um, and again, I mean, it's not it's not a never break this rule. I mean, I've seen plenty of books with, you know, a page with a, uh, a big splash reveal on, uh, 
you know, on a right-hand page, it's not like a huge deal, but that's, that's sort of like one of the things that they kind of teach you in the beginning. Um, but I mean, these, these are flexible rules, I think. Mm -hmm. Like um, a, a guideline that you can work within and then yeah. kind of test the boundaries of that uh, unique to your own project. Well, the one, the one thing that I will say that I, I, the one rule that I try very, very hard never to break is that when it comes to uh, spreads, double page spreads, you mm -hmm. should have them uh, odd, uh, even odds. So you've got like your, you know, 10, 11 or, you know, 14, 15. Uh, you'll see this a lot of times in trade paperbacks if a spread was written as an odd even um, you'll see sometimes in trade paperbacks, just like a blank sheet, mm -hmm. like a black sheet of regular, you know, to then turn the page and then you'll have a spread. And it's because the, the writer wrote um, an odd even spread versus an even odd spread. Um, so I try and, and keep that very like consistent. I also don't, I'm not a huge fan of doing double page spreads to begin with. Mm -hmm. because when you collect stuff in trade paperback, because the book is much thicker, there's a lot of um, information in the gutter that you don't see because like, you're not going to break the binding of the book to, mm -hmm. you know, to see everything. So I try not to do a lot of double page spreads. Um, usually in my scripts, especially for my Marvel work um, in my scripts, I'll say, I'll write a sequence as a spread, like a 10, 11, or like an eight, nine. And I'll say, you know, if you want to draw this as a, as a double spread, feel free. Uh, if you want to just do this as singles, feel free as well. Just like, you know, pick however many panels you want to do per page, you know, but I'll do like, you know, I'll write it out as a spread and then the artist can, can you know, it's artist's choice if they want to do that. I did that a lot with Michael Dowling because um, we mm -hmm. worked on Hollow's Eve. We worked on six issues of Hollow's Eve together. So um, we kind of got to a point where there was like a lot of shorthand. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, you know, so I would, you know, after like the third issue, I'd be like, you know, the drill, Mike, uh, if you <laughs> want to make this a spread, you can make it a spread. If you want to do singles, you can do singles. It's totally up to you. You know, I trust you. This, this is the, these are the panels, you know, and usually on a spread, I don't do anything more than like 12 panels. So if you do two singles, that's, you know, six and six on a page. So it's not like, going crazy on a page. Yeah, and I really like that you brought that up. That's something I've honestly never thought about before. Of course, you have the perspective of, you know, being an instructor and everything. And and like I said, uh, I, I want to reiterate one one time here, Kubert uh, uh, School and Instructor. So um, so you, you were an instructor there. Uh, I think you started with lettering, if I'm if I remember correctly. Um, no, I was a lettering instructor for the for Comics Experience, which is an online oh, okay, class. Okay. Um, I gotcha. was I was a the the two classes that I taught at Qbert um, mm -hmm. that were considered my classes were um, for the last years for the third year students. I taught um, writing and illustrating uh, and illustration and. Okay. Um, for the second year students, uh, I taught um, story adaptation where we would take scripts and we would, you know, create very loose scripts, but it would be training them for that third year when they would be just scripting on their own. 
um, and things like that. So uh, those are the two class. I mean, I, I would substitute other classes like mm -hmm. lettering and in business and things like that. But um, but the two classes that I primarily worked at Qbert was the writing and the story adaptation. But for a comics experience, I was an instructor for lettering. And I mean that that's uh, even more amazing than I than I already knew. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I, I can't you know, uh, downplay the, the fact that, you know, the listening audience here is, is actually getting some, some very quality <laughs> advice here. This is something that, you know, you can take back and then, and then go use on, on your own projects, your own writing or, or whatever. Uh, this is someone who's, who's taught the classes. Uh, this, this is, uh, you know, we have Erica Schultz on the line. So, um, so very, very cool. Uh, just that you're, you're able to, I don't know, uh, instruct others on, on, on storytelling and writing. Uh, like you said, it kind of blew my mind when you were talking about that double page spread being collected in a trade, something I, I would have never thought of. You're completely right though. Uh, a lot of detail goes into the center of that double page spread. And then, you know, as a collector, who's going to want to flatten that out, you know, to, to look at all of that detail there and, and everything that's, that's written and drawn and all of that, just something that, you know, a non-creator just typically doesn't think about. So uh, a very cool, unique perspective on that. I, I really like that a lot. I want to get into Hollow's Eve because I, I definitely want to talk about that as much as we can. Uh, again, I said you you had, you know, plenty of other projects, uh, you know, working at Aftershock, uh, working on lots of other Marvel stuff like X-23, Deadly Regenesis. You've got a upcoming What If Dark, which is Super, super cool. I'm really excited about that Moon Knight that you're you're working on. But Hollow's Eve to uh, to have that that mini and then the annual and then the one shot coming out. Uh, you really get to take some time and and really get to work with Jane and flesh out that world and everything with the character. How has that been? Uh, you you really I don't even know how else to put it. I just I felt like it. She was such a cool character when she was created and, and everything, and and I was like, "There's a lot of potential for this character." And then what you came out with just completely exceeded my expectations. It's just a really, really great book. Thank you. Um, I I have to give a lot of credit to Mike Dowling, um, Brian Reber, and Joe Caramagna. Um, Mike did the line art. Brian was the colorist, and Joe was the letterer. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, when I was uh, tagged to do Hollow's Eve, I had, uh, she was announced at San Diego last year, and I was, and the issue that she was going to be introduced as Hollow's Eve, because Janine Godby is a character who's existed since the 90s, um, mm -hmm. uh, JRJR and JMD Mateus created her for uh, Clone Conspiracy, the Lost Years, yep. with Ben Riley, and um so she had never really been delved into and Zeb Wells and JRJR had done some work with her for, uh, for Amazing Spider-Man. And, you know, they were fleshing out who she was as Janine. And then at ASM 14 was when they reveal her to be Hallow's Eve. That's when she gets her abilities from Madeline Pryor, the Goblin Queen, mm -hmm. uh, when she and Ben are um, staying in limbo, <clears throat> excuse me. And so I had been given some guidance on who she was, but in terms of personality, in terms of um, 
which masks. There were a few that they showed in the dark web um, miniseries, uh, crossover series. Mm-hmm. But I, I was able to really work with Michael and Nick Lowe and Caden uh, McGee, who uh, were the two editors, and, and really sort of figure out, you know, who is she, what's her motivations, but also what are, what's the magic behind the masks? Because one of the main questions was, are the masks magical or is Janine magical? So, so the main question was, is Janine magical or are the masks magical? If Janine's mm-hmm. magical, then she can put any mask on and uh, it'll change her into whatever. Um, but the idea was that the masks are what's magic. So then they would essentially work on other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we explored that. And, you know, it, it also falls into the whole Spidey great, power, great responsibility. You know, she has these masks. She can use them responsibly. And I put that in air quotes. But what <laughs> about, you know, somebody who's more villainous? And mm-hmm. one of the things that Nick and Caden kept saying was that she's not a supervillain. She's not like this, you know, mustache twirling evil character. Um, but she has her motivations and her motivations are she and Ben want to be together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do you accomplish that? Well, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to get money, to get a place, so Ben and I can be out of everybody's way. Um, and and that's basically her whole motivation is get Ben and be able to, you know, we don't bother anybody, nobody's going to bother us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, well, you know, obviously, you know, plans don't go the way you think they're going to so yeah and and like you said she's not uh, villainous she's got her her motivations for what she's doing and and she's just uh, trying to accomplish that goal that's that's really it uh things stand in the way (laughs) things happen and you know life happens and 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 whatever uh other people happen other people get in the way but uh, whenever Towards, I, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody who hasn't read the book um, because you absolutely need to go out there and read every issue of the book because it's it's outstanding. But you you get to play in this world where where what happens if other people get the masks? Um, what what goes on then, and how do we deal with that? Uh, which is really really cool and and something that I kind of wondered the second that you know I cracked open the first book. Uh, that's all I could think was, I wonder what would happen if somebody else gets the, you know, get, gets their hands on one of these masks or whatever. So it, it, it's really wonderful that you're able to play in that world and kind of uh, tell the story that you've told. Uh, how was it? I don't know how much of a big, you know, comic book fan you are, or I, I imagine so, but <laughs> um, how was it writing Spider-Man? You got to bring Spider-Man into what is that the third issue i believe um second or third issue uh you you get to bring spider-man in and and janine gets to have that one-on-one with spider-man kind of throughout the book there how was it writing such a i don't know storied characters a character that's been around for a long time that you got your hand in in, in writing i mean it's it's a huge responsibility but (laughs) but i will say this i mean 
I Spider-Man has never been my I know Spider-Man is like everybody's favorite character. Spider-Man's <laughs> yeah. never been my favorite character. Uh-huh. Um I, I think he's he's great and everything, but I think Peter Parker is is such a terrible person. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I mean, he's he tries to do everything right, but in the same time, he he still sort of falls flat on his face consistently, mm-hmm. and um, and that's that's him. That's who he is. That's his trope and everything. Um, so I had. Um, you know, when, when Nick said, we're going to throw Spider-Man in issue number three, uh, I think he made a joke. He said something like, you know, Spider-Man on a cover is going to sell books. And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right. Um, I was, of course, that that's obviously going to happen. Uh, but I, I, I was a little nervous in writing Spider-Man just in general, because like you said, I mean, there's such a huge history behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, spider deep down peter's a smart ass and if anything you know i'm as snarky as they come so (laughs) i just sort of you know wrote you know wrote like a smart ass Mm -hmm. and hopefully you know i pulled it off yeah it translated over very very well i really really enjoyed your depiction of of spider-man and and peter parker there and then uh janine's interaction with him it was it seemed very natural it seemed it worked very, very well. Uh, just really cool. And the way that you were able to write some of the characters in the book, you know, I, again, I don't want to spoil anything, but I don't think this really does. But you've got cops and stuff, uh, you know, who kind of fanboy out to Spider-Man. They're like, you know, one character says, um, I was hoping I could get his autograph and stuff like that. Just stuff that you would imagine would would happen in the real world if there was a Spider-Man or, or whatever. Um so I think that that's really cool. I think that your unique perspective on on the way that you write this world and everything is is really really cool. Um, so how about the the upcoming Hallow's Eve, the big night? Um, I again, I I don't want to spoil anything. I know you're not going to spoil anything, but what can you tell us about it? What do we have to look forward to? <laughs> um, well, this happens. Uh, it's a Halloween special mm-hmm. uh, with everybody's favorite uh, Halloween themed uh, anti-hero. <laughs> um, basically, Janine is sort of roaming around uh, ESU campus on Halloween night. And uh, she's ruminating about Ben and... Uh, and if you've read the annual, then you'll know what mm-hmm. happens with uh, with her and and Ben and Spidey in and, uh, and Limbo or in the Limbo Embassy, excuse me. Yep. And uh, basically, she's hanging around the campus and seeing all these college kids and uh, just looking for kind of a quiet night. And of course, whenever you look for a quiet night in New York City, <laughs> that's always when all hell breaks loose, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she has to show a little more of a heroic side to her. Uh, and we saw a little bit of that in the Hallow's Eve miniseries with the character of Simon and um, and her not wanting to uh, basically leave him in uh, in a rough state. So we saw her, you know, have that sort of crusade to help him. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has a bit of that again. Uh, this time, uh, but with some college kids uh, at ESU. 
So cool. And so cool that it, I, I love when, when the stars line up and, and we've got Hallow's Eve on Halloween and it's, it's Halloween week. And, and those are the, the, you know, books that everybody's going to be picking up and everything. So regardless of, I mean, I don't, I don't even have to say this cause you're already a, a, a big, sorry, horrific writer. I, I can't talk, but, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, everybody's looking out for your stuff already as it is, but you know, this is something that you guys are all going to absolutely want to make sure you pre-order for FOC, let your local comic book shop know that you want this uh, big night special um, in your pool list and, and all of that. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited that it just lines up that way. You, you get Hallow's Eve on Halloween and, and it's just super cool. So I think it's going to do really, really well. Um, and I know as a fan and, and everyone that I talk to, all the other fans of, of the book and the character, are really really looking forward to this book so super cool can i ask is there anything down the pipeline for hallow's eve after the the one shot that you're involved in uh well the trade paperback comes out i believe the same week mm -hmm. the trade paperback of uh hallow's eve the issues one through five that mike dowling brian reber joe Caramagna, and i did um so i believe that comes out the same week as the big night Mm -hmm. um or the following week um but as of right now if i'm being completely honest as of right <laughs> now i don't have any other hollows eve work mm -hmm. um but that could change i mean <laughs> i i had to email nick earlier this morning about uh, another uh matter that maybe he'll say hey do you want to do another hollows eve story um so as of right now, no, I mean, I'm focused on the, it was announced that I'm going to be writing Daredevil for the gang war crossover. Can so I'm focused wait. on working on that. Um, and I'm focused on uh, another uh, project for Marvel that has yet to be announced. Um, mm -hmm. But aside from that, uh, Hallow's Eve is I, I I would love to go back to her. I mean, she's she's a lot of fun to write. So, um, you know, Nick knows how to get in touch with me. <laughs> Nick, please get in touch with her because I want a, another mini series after this one. Um, but yeah, uh, you, you told a, a nice rounded story there. And then what we got in the annual was just mind blowing. And then I'm uh, again, looking so forward to this special here. And I, again, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I just have a couple more questions I want to ask you. And then I do want to dip back into Hallow's Eve for just a second, especially your, your writing process and everything with Hallow's Eve. I think that it's such a, a unique experience to get to write Hallow's Eve because it's almost like you get to write all these different sides of, of the same character and all these different, I don't know, uh, parts of her personality and, and different things with with all these masks it's like she puts on a mask and she's a a different person but she's still her that has to be as as far as writing uh is that challenging is it does it make it easier for you uh it's it's a little bit both i mean uh -huh. um the masks to a certain extent could even be a crutch because i remember at one <laughs> point during the during the writing process, I kept overusing one of the masks and Nick said like, let's, let's try and get something else. You know, we're, we're using this one too much or, or, um, you know, it's, it's too easy to just put on the witch mask and, and make <laughs> the witch mask 
you know, say a spell that's going to turn the witch mask into any other mask. Mm -hmm. You know, let's let's make new masks versus just constantly using the witch mask or constantly using this mask or that mask. Um, so, so it was it was challenging to, to to keep coming up with new masks and new um, new scenarios and what the powers would be associated with those. Um, but I mean, every person has got different sides to their personality. I mean, that's just who we are. So the mm -hmm. masks sort of are are showing the insides on the outsides. You know, um, you know her her frustration or anger when she puts on the the werewolf mask comes out. You know, um, her sort of playfulness when she uh, puts on the ghost mask uh, and she can phase through things and she's invisible come out. Um, you know, she's she when she puts on the model mask, you know, she kind of has like a flirty sexiness about her. Mm -hmm. um, but these are all parts of who she is in general. Um, so yeah, and I and one thing I have to say is I really I loved when that when Brian was uh, excuse me when Mike and Brian were doing the art that they kept her really consistent in terms of like her look. Mm -hmm. um, and that sometimes happens when you have a character that's drawn by a bunch of different artists is they they look different, like in every panel or, or in every issue, they look different. But there was a real like set consistency with, um, with the way she was drawn throughout. And I really liked that. Um, and I liked the fact that she she that allowed her to sort of become more real and sort of solidify as as like a person you know yeah and you're completely right there the the art in this book for anybody who hasn't picked up this book yet what the hell are you doing but um but yeah the art in 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 every single issue of this book just outstanding so consistent uh wonderful i you know i I love Hallow's Eve. I think that she's such a wonderful character, but I love all the side characters in the story. I love this, uh, the way Spider-Man's drawn and everything. Just some some really outstanding stuff in here that if you haven't seen, you have to get into your local comic book shop and, and pick up a copy. Uh, really cool. And, and you know, like uh, Erica said, the, the trade will be coming out towards the end of October uh, or, or the beginning of November. So you're definitely going to want to pick that up, but don't use that as a substitute. You need the single issues and the trade because it just, it reads so wonderfully and, and it's just uh, great on page there. The last couple of things I want to talk about, again, I mentioned before, you've got the What If Dark coming out. I don't know how much you can reveal, if anything, but uh, you are doing that What If Dark Moon Knight. Very, very exciting. Moon Knight, uh, such a wonderful character, uh, very nuanced, just like Hallow's Eve. Uh, I, I can imagine that this is a perfect character for, for you to be writing on and then uh, getting to do like a what if on it, and especially a what if dark, which have been uh, really great so far. Is there anything you can tell us about the what if dark Moon Knight? Um, well, I can tell you that it deviates from Mark Spector, Moon Knight, uh, from 19, number three from 1989 uh, awesome. by Sal Voluto and um, Chuck Dixon. Mm -hmm. And basically, Mark Spector has had multiple run-ins with Raul Bushman. And Mark has 
by all accounts, always, with the exception of the time that turns him into Moon Knight, Mark has always survived these. Um, but what happens if this one particular account he doesn't survive? And, you know, how that affects the people around him, how that affects Khonshu, how that affects um, those who know who he is, those who know uh, Mark's relationship to Khonshu, how does that affect their feelings about Khonshu? So, yeah, things get a little, uh, get a little <laughs> hairy, but um, there's a new character named Luminary mm -hmm. that um, I'm very proud to, to have been working with. And Edgar Salazar, who was the artist on X-23, Deadly Regenesis, is the line artist for this. Um, our colorist is Arif Patano. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure who the letterer is, um, so my apologies for not crediting them. But um, yeah, I, I love Moon Knight. I think he's a great character. And uh, to be able to work on him in any capacity uh, is, is bucket list material. Um, <laughs> I worked with uh, Dave Lopez on a, a short that was nominated for an Eisner this past year, um, Moon Knight, uh, Black, White and Blood, number three. Mm -hmm. um, and we did a short based on Jake Lockley. That was a lot of fun. And um, David's just a phenomenal artist to work with, so. Well, I know that we're all looking forward to that. I'm. I, I can't even express to you how <laughs> yeah, it, I, I think it's going to be such an amazing book. And of course, you know, reading the solicit and then what you just explained, I, I think that this is going to be a, a, a very, very popular book that everyone's going to be very excited about. So really looking forward to that. Again, uh, Erica, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I, I know we're hitting the 40 minute mark here, so I will wrap it up. But I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your day to talk to us here on the all new, all different number one comics podcast. Uh, for, for everyone in the listening audience, you can find Erica's work in your local comic book shop all over the place. She's done stuff for dynamite. She did charm. She uh, worked with aftershock. She's uh, done a lot over at Marvel. There's just a, a, a lot of stuff out there that you're going to want to check out that Erica has done. Of course, the Amazing Spider-Man Annual that just hit shelves, I want to say two weeks ago. I could be a little off on that. Um, the X-23 Deadly Regenesis that wrapped up, as well as the Hollow's Eve miniseries. And then it's very, very important that you guys get to your local comic book shops, get a hold of them before that FOC cutoff, and make sure you pre-order a copy of the Hollow's Eve special that you can get on Halloween week. Erica, thank you so very much for taking out the time to talk to us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yes, appreciate you. And please tell everybody where they can find you. Um, I'm on all the socials at Erica Schultz 42 on Instagram. I'm Erica Schultz writes W R I T E S. And my website is Erica Schultz where you can, uh, if your comic shop doesn't have the book that you want, I might have it. So, uh, <laughs> check out Um And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much on all the, I know there's 40,000 social media apps right now. <laughs> so like Mastodon and Threads and Blue Sky and Spoutable, I'm, I'm on all of those. 
Awesome. She uh, even takes the time to write on Blue Sky. So awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for that. Uh, again, really appreciated. And we'll let you go. But until next time, thank you so much, Erica. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Be well. Right. You too. And we are back with episode number 34 of the all-new, all-different number one comics podcast. Bob, let's talk about the new comics that are coming out in comic book shops next week. Yes, let's do. But before I start reading the list... It's disclaimer time. Yes, some of these (laughs) may or may not come out. And remember, as always, this is from one source. That's so right. it does not have the entirety of every single publisher, publisher, publisher. Or, <laughs> I like it. It sounded fancy. I, just, I or, thought we were just adding some flourish to it. Or a okay comic coming out. <laughs> so if you'd like to know more, please consult elsewhere. Because I'm not. <laughs> um, from DC, we have Fire and Ice. Welcome to Smallville number one. Yeah, I don't know much about this other than it's, uh, it's got Joanne Starr. That's the same writer as Sirens of the City. So same person working on that. And then, of course, we have, uh, I, I could never say that artist's name, but I, I love their work. Uh, I think it's Natasha Bustos. I don't know. I, I, I don't know, but really, really good artist. So, yeah. Hmm. It's a six-issue limited series. Uh, Staying with DC, we have Poison Ivy number 14. This has the first appearance of a brand new villain. How cool would it it be if that was the villain's actual name? Oh, dude, I'd love that. Absolutely. I mean, how on the nose? (laughs) I mean, again, how great would that be? I mean, Listen up, a brand new villain. (laughs) I mean, come on! Wasted opportunity, I agree. We yeah. could write it in our comic, Bob. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, from DC, Batman Catwoman Prelude to Gotham War number one. Yeah, um, in case you guys didn't hear, there's going to be a war in Gotham. It's going to have something to do with Batman, so look out for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course it's Gotham. It's got to have something to do with Batman. It's DC. It's got to have something you know, to do with Batman. You know, either Batman <laughs> or one of the... How big is the Bat family now? Oh, wow. I don't know. Uh, 400 plus? Does he have Bat grandkids? (laughs) How does he not? (laughs) Does he have Bat stepchildren? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, We have Blue Beetle number one. Just in time. Well, actually, just a couple of weeks behind the uh, Blue Beetle uh, hitting in theaters. This has the first appearance of the Blood Scarab. So, you know, if you want a scarab that's, I don't know, maybe covered in blood or something, check this book out. And to... To correct you in there, uh, Blue Beetle is actually in theaters. Yeah, I, I think I was saying, like, the book is too Oh, like, okay. I'm, so, I'm, sorry, yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm you're sorry. good. You're good. You know, day. <laughs> okay. Um, for most people, they got this comic. For Dan and I, we did not get it. So I'm going to put this on the list. Birds of Prey number one. That's right. In the new Birds of Prey roster, starring Black Canary, Big Barda, Harley Quinn, Cassandra Kane, and Zealot. Uh, yeah, who's who's not excited about this? Because we all know that Kelly Thompson's writing it. So, 
Yes. This is no. going to be a good book. Hopefully, Dan and I will be getting it this week. Yeah, uh, I, I'm excited about that. Uh, going to Marvel, we have Spider-Gwen Annual Number 1. This is a Contest of Chaos crossover. It's got Spider-Gwen versus White Fox. And Bob, who do you think is going to win? Uh, I'm not familiar with White Fox, so I'm going with <laughs> Spider-Gwen. Oh, well, good choice. Mm. Uh, we have a second print of Amazing Spider-Man Number 31. Yeah, this one's really cool. It's got, I don't, I don't know, some kind of... It looks like an homage to like some magazine, but I can't think of what. But it looks really cool. I, I, I love the artwork there. Um, it's got uh, Mary Jane in her jackpot costume on the cover, so cool stuff. Uh, sticking with Marvel, we have Amazing Spider-Man number 33. Yeah, and this has got it's one of its variants of the Disney 100. It's got... Daisy Duck as Miss Marvel, uh, pulling off that classic Miss Marvel number one cover. Very cool cover, yeah. I have to say. Yeah, that I, cool. I, you will be getting that cover. Oh, yeah. You know I will. <laughs> um, we have Silver Surfer Rebirth Legacy number one. Yeah, five-issue limited series, teaming Silver Surfer with the Legacy... Sorry, with Legacy... Versus Thanos, Galactus, and the Infinity Watch. So, yeah, this is... Uh, sound like, it sounds like it could be very bonkers. Very, very bonkers. Um, but it's written by Ron Mars and illustrated by Ron Lim. So you got the Rons on the book. So should be interesting, to say the least. Uh, we have Immortal X-Men number 15. Always fun with the Immortal X-Men. We have, and finally, we have Ghost Rider, Wolverine, Weapons of Vengeance, Omega Number One. There's a title. Yeah, this one's got the origin of the Stitcher, and I don't know what that is, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, always, always fun. You throw uh, Johnny Blaze and... Uh, <laughs> and those are just some of the books coming out. Just some of them, that's right. There, there will be more, but you can find those in your local comic book shop. But if you... Do uh, any any of those interest you at all? Of course, you know you can hit up your local comic book shop, send them an email, walk in the store, give them a phone call, do whatever you have to do. Send them an AOL instant message, right? Is AOL still a right thing? on your AOL instant messenger. Um, use your your BlackBerry to send over a uh, message. Oh, um, now you're going early. Now you're going late nineties, early two thousand. All right, I mean, go to court and get a stenotypist to uh, type a letter shorthand go. and mail it to your local comic book shop. Look, either way, let your local comic book shop know to add it to your pool of reserve a copy for you if you're interested in any of those. Bob, it's that time again. We need to talk about what book we're going to be covering next week, and right now we've got three contenders. It is between Blue Beetle from DC Comics, Kill Your Darlings from... I believe Image Comics, but I could be wrong. And Hunt for the Skinwalker, which is maybe from Boom Studios, but I could be wrong about that as well. Either way, it's time to spin the wheel over at wheelofnames.com and see what it lands on. And it looks like next week we're going to be talking about Hunt for the Skinwalker, number one. Wow. So, yeah, should should be a fun one. Um, excited about that. Bob, that wraps up the show. That wraps up episode number 34 of the all-new, all-different number one comics podcast. And yes, uh, of course, if you guys didn't hear that, this was episode 34 just for Hopefully, the, uh, I'm sure he didn't, <laughs> but hopefully he said that 34 times. Yes. Oh, oh that would have been good. If I did, do I get a prize is the real question. 
Uh, sure, you get a copy of this book. Oh, well, thank God. I've been, <laughs> I, I love the book. I'll definitely uh, cherish it with all my heart. Um, that's it, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, of course, check us out on social media of your choice. We are on Instagram at ANAD underscore number one comics podcast, on Twitter at ANAD and Comic Pod, on TikTok at ANAD number one comics pod, and uh, the comic book channel on YouTube. This and every single week, all you have to do is use our hashtag, all new, all different nation, in a post on social media of your choice to be entered in our giveaway where you can win your very own copy of Miss Marvel, the new mutant number one. Thank you. That's it. Thanks for coming and hanging out on episode number 34. We'll see you guys next time.